Uh, and so we've been in a series, Small Words, Big Impact, and today is our last installment of this series. And um, we've talked about how to say no, how to say yes, how to say sorry, how to ask for help. Um, I have been the beneficiary of asking for help several times, whether it be in the middle of the night, just burdened and weighed down by stress of life and crying out to God, saying, God, I can't do this on my own, help me, and he always comes through. Sometimes it's instant, sometimes it's gradual, um, but he's always there for me. And other times in, in my job or in my profession in youth ministry, asking for help has been um, one of the things that's made it successful. And so I have, we've asked for help here at a lot of the adults here and even in the room and uh, young people here in the room that have come and helped out with our students. And we appreciate everything that you're doing from cooking meals for them to picking them up and giving rides. We're doing for some, every one of us, there's 20 or 30 of us now helping with young, with the students. And we're each kind of loving on a few kids. We all can't, we can't know everybody's name and we can't love on everybody the way they deserve to be loved. So we kind of divide and conquer, right? And, uh, and so I'm very thankful and grateful for all the people that help with that from giving rides and uh, hanging out with the students before and after and doing discussion and praying for them and checking on them and calling them. And so it's real exciting what's going on. And the students, um, I want to show a video to you guys of the, what we're kind of doing, this journey that we're taking during the summer in case there's any of you students out there that haven't been coming and you are kind of curious what we're doing this summer. Um, go ahead and roll that for us, Kimmy. Why are you even Batman? Batman doesn't even have a superpower. That's just it, man. No superpowers. Just a normal guy like me and you doing super things. So Alpha's 12 sessions designed to engage us in a conversation about some of life's most important questions. This isn't going to be a lecture where Ben and I do all the talking. Instead, during Alpha, you're going to get a chance to talk in small groups and ask questions as they come up. We want to provoke you to think about what you believe and how you feel about certain faith issues. And then they kill it. Forget about it, man. This adventure is going to take us all over the world. We're going to hear stories and talk about ideas that you will never forget. You have approximately 570,000 hours left to live. And we want to invite you to spend less than 24 of them with us on Alpha. we're doing this summer, I want to encourage you or invite you, if you are in 5th grade through 12th grade, come be a part of that. Uh, don't worry, 12th graders, you won't be paired up with 5th graders. We've got it all kind of separated out, but it's, a, it's going to be a great time. I want to encourage you to come and be a part of that. Um, again, thank you all that are helping with that. I so appreciate your time and what you're doing for that. Um, contemplating kind of this week that and what God is doing with our building and everything that's kind of going on here in our community, it's kind of left me with this sense of, wow, you know, wow, God, you're, you're amazing. God, you're, a, wow. And so what a fitting small word uh, with a big impact in our lives that we can talk about today. And so that's, that's our word for today that we're going to talk about and, and explore and look into, wow. And wow is kind of something that we say when, when something happens that turns our world upside down or we didn't quite expect it, or we're not real sure how to take it all in. We just are kind of like, wow. It's an expression of wonder or awe, being dumbstruck, not having anything to say. And it's interesting that in every culture, there's some kind of word or expression for wow. And it doesn't really have a definition. It's just kind of, I'm without words. Wow, right? And so uh, sometimes you, something your kids do 
and uh, you, you kind of leaves you wondering where their brain was in the middle of that, and you just can't say anything, but wow, right? There's, there's wow moments, and if you don't say wow, a lot of times you might say, oh my God, like God, and because I think there's something inside of us, and our soul knows that there's something bigger that causes and that orchestrates some of these wow moments in our lives, and the reality is, is that our, our life, our, our universe is filled with wows. It's built on Wow, there's moments in history that we look at, like when the Wright brothers, they built this machine, all of a sudden now humans are in flight. That's, that's a pretty wow moment. If you ask any Brazilian, and I say this because my wife is Brazilian, if you ask any Brazilian who was the first in flight, she will not say the Wright brothers. I dare you, go ahead, ask her. It'll end up being some kind of argument, I, I promise. <laughs> Brazilians think another guy did it. So anyway, uh, uh, go ahead, look it up. It's in Wikipedia. Then later on, uh, Neil Armstrong, uh, we put him on the moon. Wow, that's, we put people in space. There's these wow moments uh, throughout, throughout life. And then uh, after 100 years, the Cubs, they won the World Series. Wow. I mean, there really is a God, right? I mean, uh, it, and so then, I mean, there, and then there's the mystery of birth, like just, just the, the idea of, of being born, you know? And so I was there with my wife, and, and after she stopped complaining about how how much it hurt, you know, finally the, the baby came, and we were, we were just so, I was, wow, right? There was no words when you hold your child for the first time. You know I'm kidding, right, ladies? I mean, don't hate on me now. Uh, it's so, uh, wow, there's these wow moments that we experience in our life, but what I want to talk to you about today is the wow that we can find in Jesus. Everybody say, wow. Look at the person next to you and say, Wow. I can't believe you got up to come hear this. Wow. You could have stayed in bed and you didn't. Wow. Okay, so last week at CF Students, we kind of explored this idea of who Jesus is. And we discussed things like why is he so famous and um, what is he known for and why are there so many different opinions about Jesus? What stands out the most to you? And it got me revisiting and thinking, well, how did I... Uh, come to believe what I believe about who Jesus is, and how, how did I uh, know the things that, that I know, and, and growing up, I just kind of, uh, I was taught, and through Sunday school, and my parents, and um, I had a great family, and they just kind of taught me about Jesus, and they taught me about some of the things that he said, like, I'm the bread of life, and I'm one with the Father, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and th- those things, they just didn't seem strange to me, they didn't seem awkward to me, but then I got to thinking, like, what if I'm a teenager, or I'm an adult, and this is, this is I'm hearing this for the first time. Jesus saying these things. Let's, let's take it out of the context of our normal religious world or what we grew up to know. If somebody comes up to you and says, hey man, I am the bread of life, it's a little weird, right? I mean, it's, 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 hard, to, uh, it's hard to understand or uh, get those concepts. And so it got me thinking like, um, have we gotten so used to, become so familiar with the context of of who Jesus is in our culture or in our family or in our upbringing that we just kind of accept, yeah, Jesus and he's the son of God and all that and resurrection and yeah, we just kind of accept it because we've heard it from somebody we trust or we know or because we just kind of grew up in it. Is it possible that we've just kind of coasted along hearing about Jesus but never really taking it to heart? Is that possible? Could it be that we've accepted things because we're familiar with them or because we're familiar with the person that told us about them and not necessarily because we've wrestled with the idea, the concept, we've discovered the facts for ourselves, we've looked at the evidence, we've, we've experienced it. Could it be that, 
we're experiencing Jesus through others or through what other people say rather than experiencing Jesus or the wow of Christ for ourselves. You see, the reality is, is that the wow of Jesus is meant to be experienced, not just accepted. It's meant to be experienced, not just accepted. And so could it be that the name of Jesus, the stories of Jesus, the ideas of Jesus have become so familiar that we've just kind of coasted along but never really discovered the wow in the middle of what all of that means. And so that's what we're going to talk about. You know, Jesus is the most famous person in history. And the reality is, is there's, there's, there's more evidence to suggest that he actually existed. Let's just talk about some evidence for a little bit. That he actually existed, um, and, and more than just a great religious teacher, more than just religion, that he is, there's more to him. There's a wow factor to Jesus and who he is and what he has done. And let's explore some of that because Jesus claimed to have the identity of God. And if that's true, we need to understand and we need to see Jesus through the lens of God or God through the lens of Jesus, rather. But let's look at the life of Jesus. Did he really walk the earth? All right. And I know some of this is kind of basic for some of y'all. You've, you've heard it, you've read it, you've accepted. And, but again, let's just think about, let's, have we just accepted because we've heard it all our lives or have we really looked at the evidence? No serious historians deny that he existed, right? There's not, a, there's not one that deny that there's more mentions of Jesus in ancient lit- literature than Tiberius Caesar, who ruled during the time of, G- of Jesus. And so there's no denying the fact that Jesus was a real person that actually lived on the earth. Josephus is a historian of that time. He wasn't actually a Christian himself, but he described Jesus as a wise man, a teacher, a doer of wonderful works. And Jesus was mentioned by several other historians of that time as well. So there's plenty of evidence outside of the Bible, outside of the New Testament, that, that proves and suggests that Jesus was a person, he was real, and he did walk on this, this earth. But within the New Testament, let's look at, you know, in the Gospels, we see these eyewitnesses' accounts of who Jesus is and what he said. Let's look at what Jesus said about himself to try to go a little bit further in this wow factor of who Jesus is. He said things like, um, I am life, I am the truth. Well, if you're just a religious teacher, you may, you may say something like, this is the way to a full life. Or you may say something like, this is a truth. Or here is a truth. But Jesus, he said, I am life and I am truth. He said things like, I, I am the bread of life. What does that mean? I, I'm one who can feel your spiritual hunger in, in the heart that you need. You know, we all carry around this, this anxiety sometimes, this fear, this guilt, or this worry, this concern, this, this burden of, of life. And Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus is claiming that he has what we need for life, that he's the way, the truth, the life. Jesus said, if you've received me, you've welcomed God, and if you've seen me, you've seen God, Jesus talks about how he forgave sins. Your sins are forgiven. And he said things like, I and the Father are one. Well, here's the problem with what he was saying during the time that he was living. There was a, he was around. Uh, he lived in Israel. He's around a lot of religious, religious people that knew the Torah. They knew the rights and the wrongs. They knew the Ten Commandments. They knew about God. And so to say that you were God was blasphemy to them. To say that you could forgive sins was blasphemy to them, to put yourself in the place making, having the same identity as God, it kind of made them upset. <laughs> but let's, let's think about that for a second. Put yourself in the shoes of the people around Jesus of that day and hour. Right now, we were just kind of like, yeah, it was Jesus, and yeah, we, you know, no big deal. It may not seem awkward or strange to some of the things that he said, but for them, for them, it was very, very bizarre, some of the stuff that he said. 
In fact, there's an account in, in John uh, chapter 10 where Jesus is talking to them how he's a good shepherd and all these different things. He's talking and they're kind of getting upset and they're trying to figure out what he's really, he's lost his mind. Some of them say he's demon possessed and this doesn't sound like a man. And then some of them are like, well, this doesn't sound like a man because he's opened the blind's eyes and they're having this discussion, this debate about who Jesus really is. And they're asking him, uh, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? In John chapter 10, verse 24, he says, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. You see what's happening is they had this idea of who the Messiah was going to be. They had this idea of who Jesus was. They had this idea, this box, these parameters that they have set. And, and Jesus, who was claiming to be God, the Messiah, didn't fit into those parameters. He didn't fit in the box that they had thought or perceived or created uh, for them to be in. And they were asking, they were getting upset because he was making himself as if he was God. And Jesus replied to them, I've already told you don't believe me and the proof is in the work that I do. And he goes on and, and he basically says that I and the Father are one. And then they pick up stones and they're getting ready to stone him. And Jesus says, uh, at my Father's direction, I have done many good works. For which of these are you going to stone me? And they replied, we're stoning you not for good work, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, are claiming to be God. And so if you think about what he actually said, he's like, I am life. There's a wow factor to behind what that actually means for us, and we're going to keep exploring. I like what Bono from YouTube said in an interview about his faith in Jesus. The reporter asked him, Christ has ranked among the world's, is ranked among the world's greatest thinkers or good religious teachers, but son of God, isn't that a little far-fetched? That was the question, and here's how he responds. He says, I don't think you're let off easily by saying he was a great thinker or philosopher, because actually, he went around saying he was the Messiah, that's why he was crucified. He was crucified because he said he was the son of God. So either, in my view, he was the son of God or he was nuts. And I find it hard to accept that all the millions and millions of lives, half of the earth for 2,000 years, have felt their lives touched and inspired by some nutter. I don't believe it. <laughs> that makes sense. So there's evidence that shows and proves the life of Jesus and who he was and that his claims to be God were actually valid and true. Not only did Jesus claim to be God, but he lived a miraculous life. Here's another piece of evidence that helps us to discover and see another facet and another piece of who Jesus is. He, he turned water into line. We talked about that last week a little bit. He multiplied food to feed thousands. The wind and waves obeyed him. He healed many people. One of my favorite moments in some of the stories in the life of Jesus that I read is uh, some parents were trying to bring kids to Jesus so that Jesus could bless them. You know, he's out there, he's healing people, and he's teaching, and he's this fun guy, and everybody wants to be around him, and he's teaching them things that they never thought of and sharing the, the Torah and the Word with them in ways that they had never understood to be, and they're, everybody's excited, and there's this thing going on, and they're like, oh, let's just bring our kids, and maybe they'll be blessed because he'll pray for them, and the disciples are like uh, getting upset, the parents, you know, you, let's not bother Jesus with this. He's got other important things that he needs to take care of. Well, when Jesus discovered this and found out the disciples were turning away kids from coming to Jesus, Jesus was upset at his disciples. He got mad at them. And he said, no, let the kids come to me. And he sat them on his knee and he prayed over them and blessed them and he took the time. And that was one of my favorite things about, about who Jesus is, is that he takes the time to care about people that everybody else considers insignificant. He was willing to touch lepers and touch the diseased 
and the broken and those that were marked as sinners. He was willing to associate and spend time with people that others shunned. For me, that's a wow, a wow moment into who Jesus is. Even kids, he cares about. In addition to the miraculous, another fact that kind of brings validity to this wow factor of Jesus is, is all the prophecies about him. There's actually over 300 prophecies in which he fulfilled, 29 of those he fulfilled in one day. And some people may say, and they may look back and say, well, he read these in, ahead of time, and he kind of tried to orchestrate and fulfill all of these. Well, uh, the sheer number, for one, kind of destroys that argument, but also the fact that he couldn't control where he was born. He couldn't control how he died and where he was buried, and those are all prophecies that he fulfilled. And so there's, there's, that, there's that evidence about who Jesus is. And there's another event that we can explore about the wow factor of who Jesus is, is his claim, is his conquest of death. You know, most of us have experienced the finality of seeing that coffin lowered down into the, into the dirt. And we throw that dirt on top of the coffin and we know that it's over. Recently, we've had some loved ones we've lost. This year, we've had some loved ones we've lost. But as the story unfolds, the tomb where Jesus was laid... It was empty. There's a wow factor in understanding that Jesus rose again from the grave, and it's not just some mythical idea or in concept or in theory. It's something that actually happened. The resurrection really happened, and it's important to think about this because there's this idea floating around there these days that, yeah, you know, Jesus probably existed. He's probably a good man, you know, a good teacher, uh, inspirational. He but he was just a man. You know, just a lot of stuff happening on a, on a natural human level. And when he died, people missed him, and so some folks felt that the spirit of, of who he was was kind of still around in his presence, and so they turned it into these mythical stories about resurrection, some kind of folklore stuff. There's this idea going around that it's just, it's not actual literal res- resurrection, it's just kind of this 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 hope thing that people tried to drum up. And that, you know, people back in those days are just really naive and they just took it way too literally and what they, what they really meant is just this, this idea, not really actual resurrection. But that's not the case for the accounts that we read in the New Testament. Now, it's important to understand that when you wanted to get something right as a historian or as somebody's presenting some facts or something actually happened, that you would go and you would talk to the eyewitnesses. And I want to kind of explain this for a, a little, little bit. The resurrection was not meant as a mythical story. It was meant as something that actually happened. There's an Oxford scholar named Richard Bachman, Bachem, something like that. He's a brilliant guy. He wrote a, he wrote a, a book called Jesus and the Eyewitnesses. And he talks about how in the ancient world, ancient Rome, ancient Greece, there, there would be these folks who were quite serious about writing down the facts, about writing down history, well, what really, really happened. And it's a different genre than myth, a different genre than folklore, than, uh, it's a different genre. And they believed that the stories that they were writing about history, uh, and they took it very seriously, and they did it by talking to eyewitnesses. They would go and talk to people who were actually at the battle or at the war, a part of the thing that actually happened. And so history is built on the testimony of eyewitnesses, and we see this in the Gospels. Notice this how in the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, it says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of these things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those 
who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you so that you may know the cert- with certainty or the certainty of things you have been taught. So that you can know about these stories and the certainty of the things that happened actually happened. So whatever you think about the writings of the gospel, they're not meant to be a symbolic story. Ancient histories were meant to be taken seriously. Eyewitnesses played a very huge part, a very large role in the literature of that day. Even today, uh, eyewitnesses, we, we, we make footnotes, right? In, in our research papers and things like that and things that we want people to take serious and say, hey, this is true. We kind of, we say, well, this is true because, uh, you know, according to this journal or according to this study or according to this science, and we put little footnotes about what proves it right. There's no, foot, there's no footnotes in the very hungry caterpillar, Right? There's no footnotes in Dr. Seuss. There's no footnotes in the, kind of some of the bedtime stories and fun things. That we, uh, in the Gospels, we have what we call some footnotes, and I want to show you what they are. There's one, there's one place in the, in the Gospel of Mark that says, A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by, and they forced him to carry the cross. Now, let's stop there for a second. Back that up a little bit. A certain man, first he tells where he's from. Then he tells his name. Well, Simon, it's a common name back in that day. And so then he says, well, who, who does he belong to? Well, who's his father? How can we find this person? Because Mark knew, and we understand that the Gospel of Mark was one of the first that were written. And so it was written during and while this guy, Simon, was still alive. And so Mark knew that the Simon was come to be a part of the Christian community, that they were still alive, and that they, anyone could say, hey, these guys are still alive. You want to go find out if what we're saying is real, go and talk to them. Here's where you can find them. And that's the role that footnotes play. That's the role that eyewitnesses play in the Gospels. And so we see this dynamic. All four Gospels have eyewitnesses of things that happen, especially of the resurrection of Christ, especially of the tomb being written, I mean being empty. The resurrection really happened. And Jesus appeared to several different people showing Himself, but it's interesting to note that some of the first eyewitnesses of the, of the to, empty tomb and of Jesus being alive, being actually risen, were ladies, were women. Now, this is interesting to think about because if you think about the time in which this is happening, women didn't have a lot of credibility or rights back then. It wasn't lawful. By law, a woman couldn't go into a court and produce, be a eyewitness for or against somebody. They wouldn't allow it because it wasn't acceptable. And so if somebody was going to make up this story about there being eyewitnesses, about Jesus being risen, if they were going to make it up during that time, they wouldn't have used ladies as the eyewitnesses. Don't you find that interesting? You see the evidence there that it's not made up. The resurrection actually happened. Jesus, wow, he rose again. From the grave, the tomb is empty. He's alive. He's well. I want to show you a portion of the video that we showed this last week um, with our students to kind of help us explore this a little bit further. The final piece of evidence we're going to look at is Jesus' conquest of death. The physical resurrection of Jesus is the cornerstone of Christianity. And this matters to every single one of us because we're all going to die. When you go to a funeral and you see the coffin being lowered into the ground, it looks absolutely final. And it is. Unless Jesus died, 
was buried in a tomb and then was raised to life, in which case the grave has lost its power and death has been conquered. So I grew up in a family, there was no faith, no religion, no God, no prayer, no Bible. It was just, didn't talk about it. My dad uh, was so atheistic that when my older brother was born uh, a few years before me, uh, his name is Matthew, and he said, we have to spell his name with one T as not to be biblical. I don't want it to be spelled like it's in the Bible. And so, my, so literally on his birth certificate, his name is spelled with one T. And then when I was 17, I was in high school, and uh, I met a guy named Chris in woodworking class, and he, he came up to me and he's like, listen, this guy was, you know, womanizer, drug dealer, you know, whatever, the whole thing. And that's why I hung out with him. And, uh, and he said, you know, listen, I got my life changed by Jesus. And I'm like, well, what's, what's this about? And so um, I began kind of exploring as a skeptic, which is what I was. So when, when Chris started talking to me about Christianity, as someone who grew up in an atheistic home, I wasn't just going to accept what he was going to say. So I was like, okay, did this actually happen historically? What's the evidence? Because I'm not, I'm not a super emotional person. I'm not, I'm not gonna just buy into something because I get swept up in the emotion of it. So then what that made me do is I gotta go investigate this stuff. So when I was 19 was the first time I actually walked into a church and I found skeptics there, skeptics who were actually serious about answering the deep questions. It was all these people going, yeah, I have that question too, but here's what I found, this legit thing and let's compare this and this. I started to open up the old Bible that my grandfather had given me. Because Christianity functioned around this person and not just ideas and philosophies, I had to figure out, did this guy even exist to begin with? I explored, I studied, I looked at it. So I saw in the Gospels he obviously existed, but then began realizing there's people outside of the Bible who have no Christian agenda who were all claiming he existed. And it was in that exploration that I actually came to realize that Christianity is not emotional. It's not true because I want it to be true. It's true because the actual tomb is empty. It was based on a historical event. And that's what I realized was different about it. So I began to realize that this is either the most important thing in the universe or it is the dumbest thing. It can't be half interesting. So after I had studied, looked at the evidence, I came to the conclusion that this wasn't just hopeful thinking, wishful thinking, that it was actually true. There are four pieces of evidence for Jesus' resurrection. First, his tomb was empty. When Jesus' close friends went to visit his tomb on the third day, his body wasn't there. People have come up with all kinds of explanations for this, but none of them stand up against thoughtful evaluation. For example, maybe the authorities stole the body. But if they did, then they would have shown that they had it when people start saying that Jesus had risen from the dead. Or others might say, okay, then robbers stole the body. When the disciples heard that Jesus had been seen, they ran to the tomb. Jesus' body wasn't there, but the grave clothes that he'd been wrapped in were still there. These would have been the only valuable things that the robbers might have taken. Even the piece that had been around Jesus' head had been folded up and put off to the side. The second piece of evidence for Jesus' resurrection is his presence with the disciples. Jesus was seen more than 11 times after his resurrection, and on one occasion by a group of around 500 people. Now some might say, well, that could have been a hallucination. But think about it, 500 people can't hallucinate the same thing. The third piece of evidence is the transformation we see in the disciples. Here's a group of people who were devastated that their leader had been killed, and they were afraid themselves that they would be arrested and killed. And then suddenly, they were transformed. 
Instead of being discouraged and fearful, they were full of hope and courage. And they were so confident in the message, they went around telling everyone, Jesus is alive. And many of the disciples were later killed or tortured because they wouldn't stop spreading this message. Why would someone be prepared to die for something they knew wasn't true? But the disciples believed it was true. It had transformed their life. And this extraordinary movement has spread all over the world. And that's the fourth piece of evidence. Jesus is still impacting lives today. There are now more than 2.4 billion Christians around the world, representing every ethnic, economic, and social background. The disciples spoke about a risen Jesus, and there are billions of Christians around the world today who also speak of an encounter with the risen Jesus Christ. So how do we respond to all this? It seems clear that Jesus really did claim to be a man whose identity was God. And when we look at the evidence, his teaching, his life, his character, his fulfillment of prophecy, and his resurrection from the dead, it all provides strong support that what Jesus said about himself was true. And this truth isn't just head knowledge, it's truth we can experience in our hearts. Truth we can experience in our hearts. And for me, that's a wow. That I can know about Jesus. I can know things that he said. I can read the Bible. I can go to church. I can have a sense of what's right, what's wrong. I can be a generally good person. But yet, to experience Christ, a resurrected Christ in my heart, in my life, and it is deeply personal. All of us, every single one of us, Jesus invites us to experience his wow, to experience his life, to experience his resurrection. We all have wow moments in our lives, and they don't really change a whole lot, right? They don't change a whole lot around us. If living in Colorado and climbing Long's Peak, and you look out at the views, wow. We have these wow moments, and they, they come and they go. But life just keeps on going. Life and death keep on going. But then there's Jesus. The wow of Jesus changes everything. He taught like nobody had ever taught, that God is real and that God is loving. That God is more loving than the most loving mother or the most loving father. That God cares about you. Not even a sparrow can fall from the sky or from its nest without God knowing about it. God is infinitely good. God is concerned with justice. There's this amazing movement that Jesus was, was talking about, and then he died. And the movement died with him. And this is what's interesting. You gotta, you gotta pay attention to this. You understand that, that the crucifixion, after the crucifixion, there was nothing left of the Christian movement. But when the tomb was empty, when Jesus rose from the grave, it was on. It spread like wildfire. The Roman government, the most powerful government in the world of that day, could not stop it. Churches sprung up, sprung up all over the place. People believed in this resurrection power of Jesus, so much so that they were willing to die for it. The church was irresistible. Life with Jesus and loving one another, doing family together and getting together and talking about all the goodness of God and the things of God and worshiping and singing songs and hymns together. It was so irresistible because of the resurrection, wow, of Jesus. Christianity is quite unique among other religions is because it's the only faith that didn't develop gradually over time. It wasn't and then it was. 
One day it did not exist, and then the next day it did exist, and people were ready to die for it. As a matter of historical fact, they did die for it. We were told one of the gospel accounts, as the women saw that the tomb was empty and they hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell the disciples, suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. I love how understated this is in the Bible. Jesus like shows up out of nowhere. Greetings. What's up? <laughs> and they came to him and they clasped his feet. And notice the word in the, it says they worshiped him. Yesterday, Jesus was a crucified criminal, a failed Messiah, but today he's the Lord of the universe. His way of servanthood and humility, of self-sacrifice and love, it wasn't thwarted by the cross. In fact, it turned the cross into the most recognizable symbol of human history. You don't have to live in fear anymore. You don't have to live in defeat anymore. Nations rise and fall. Civilizations come and go. And the shadow of this one man haunts the human race 2,000 years later like no other. Wow. He changed everything. That power that resurrected Jesus can be at work in your life. As been said in the video there at the end, it's not just head knowledge. It can be experienced in our hearts. The wow of Jesus is a deeply personal wow. I've experienced him in my own heart. Many of you have experienced him at different situations and stages in your life. You've experienced wows of Jesus. And it wasn't until I experienced him Personally, not just my head knowledge, not just knowing that it was a wow. The resurrection power of Jesus. You know, we all face this wonder of being born and then having our lives come to an end. And the biblical writers, they talk about this in Hebrews. It says, just as people are destined to die once and after that face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away sins of many. He will appear to bring salvation or deliverance, healing, forgiveness to those who are waiting for him. And so the question is, are you waiting for him? Are you seeking and searching out for the wow of a resurrected king and not just accepting what you grew up in and not just being like, eh, yeah, Jesus, I love him and I know he's true and all that, but are you experiencing him? for the wow that he really is. And here's the truth about you. Here's the truth about me. The biggest wow of our existence is yet to come. The most amazing moment in your life will be that moment after you die. And we don't talk about it much, and, but it's good to think about it every now and then because it comes to all of us at some point. And there's an old story a little kid comes running out of his bedroom and says to his mother, Mom, is it true that from dust we are made and, from, and to dust we return? And the mom says, yes. Why are you asking? And he says, well, I was just looking under my bed and someone's either coming or going. <laughs> Someone is either coming or going, right? All the time. This year we've lost several of our loved ones. One of the things that got me through when I lost my best, one of my best friends was I'll see her again in heaven. I know it. While it hurts, there will be a moment, a wow moment, the biggest wow of my 
life of my existence when this life ends and I walk into the next. That moment when I see my loved ones that have gone before me, when you see your loved ones that have gone before you, or the Bible says you will face eternity without God. Wow. God doesn't want anybody to face that. So he says, I'll give you my grace, my love, my forgiveness, where you've messed up, this free gift. I'll be a part of every moment of your life, every moment that you live. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you from this moment. And you can be with me forever in eternity. That moment after you die, you'll be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, but you'll also be celebrating the resurrection of you. The wow of Jesus is meant for us to experience, not just accept, to know, to understand, to, to move it from here in our heads to deep down here in our hearts. The death and the resurrection of Jesus means that our sin is forgiven, that, that death, your death, is taken care of, and you can have hope. You can have purpose and meaning and a message and destiny. Love is triumphed over hate. Not just that. The creation itself is going to be redeemed. There's so many amazing things because of the wow of the resurrection power of God. God himself will wipe every tear from every sorrowing eye. That sickness and sadness and grieving and mourning will be no more. Wow. Resurrecting power. The moment will come. It will surely come. Because the resurrection actually happened because Jesus actually existed and what he did and said and who he healed and who he touched actually happened and he stands with an outstretched arm always ready saying, I want you to experience that same life, that same resurrecting power. Have you had a risen encounter with Jesus? Have you experienced him, the life to the fullness? Or have you just accepted because it's what you grew up in? There's hope beyond this life, and there's hope for this life. There's a resurrection wow waiting for all of us, not only the last moment of our, of our existing natural lives, but also right now we can live in resurrection moments. We can experience the resurrection of Jesus I want to read a scripture in closing here. It's in 1 Peter. He says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of, of change and decay. I can remember getting things that I, you know, really wanted and saved up for and worked for and, you know, and like a week later, somebody breaks it. <laughs> it, it, it changes, it decays, but there's something for us that God has for us through this resurrection power that doesn't change, doesn't decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive the salvation which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. We can find joy. We can find gladness, happiness in the resurrection wow of Jesus. There's wonderful joy ahead. Even though you have to endure many trials for a little while, isn't that the truth? 
Sometimes we go through things and we ask, God, why? I'm, I'm loving you. I'm serving you. I'm, I, I go to church and I, I'm a good person and yet all these things are happening. We're not in heaven yet, folks. <laughs> we can experience bits and pieces of heaven here, his kingdom here, but yet we're still not there. But because of the resurrection, wow, we will get there. And there is this wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure now. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than just mere gold. He's like, gold? Nah. Chunk it. Faith? Yeah. So when your faith remains strong, through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus is revealed to the whole world. Wow. Can you stand with me and say wow? wow. Say wow to the persons around you and next to you. Resurrection, wow. Let's pray.